0: Hi, and welcome to another episode of Garmology, a podcast about clothes and stuff. My guest today is from Sweden. He's called Martin, and he has a micro-brand he'd like to tell you about. Hi, Martin. Would you like to introduce yourself?
1: Hi. Yeah, uh, Yeah. I'm Martin, or Martin in English. Easy to pronounce. Martin uh, Ridne. I have, as you say, a micro-brand uh, with my wife. It's called Jernvirke, and we started out uh, maybe I don't know maybe three years ago uh, doing a Kickstarter. And uh, I guess the idea uh, idea behind the brand is both me and my wife we like uh, we we like vintage clothing very much, and we like to go to vintage shops and you know find all these very nice old garments and and uh, i think one of the things that actually what we really like about them is um is how they're made like the fabric the, how they're, they're sewn and and um, you know that the kind of work that goes into many details uh, in uh, many older garments and we were a bit sad to find not find that in in uh well today's uh Fashion industry, as it's called.
0: <laughs> when you say uh, when you say vintage, you have a certain period in mind, because it's not sort of recent vintage.
1: No, I mean, I guess I don't have a, a, actually a, a certain period. Maybe like, uh, you know, forties, fifties, sixties. I mean, in, in some sense, all the way up to eighties and the almost nineties as well. Um, I mean, if you look at what's happened. At late is that uh, we have the, I mean the how much clothes or garments we consume has just exploded, and we have not much respect it feels like we don't have much respect for the actual garments we just want to consume the fashion and uh, so you could actually you don't have to to uh, go back so many years to actually find um garments that are well, well made.
0: I think that's a very good point, because if you go back to the 40s or 50s or 60s, the amount of money you paid for a single garment was huge compared to today. Uh, when you go out to a fast fashion place, typically today, the price you can pay for a garment is almost nothing compared to then. So the fact that the quality and the construction and the fabrics and everything has gone down would follow that. Yeah, and I mean,
1: you don't actually you don't have to only look at the fast fashion brands. I I quite feel like looking at many other fashion brands that that of course many are high quality, but the quality and uh, doesn't really it's not necessarily the first thing that that a, a fashion brand looks at. And that's also why we kinda we I mean we like garments and we like fashion of course, but we kinda say that we're not necessarily we don't make fashion, we make garments and for us it's a quite it's a distinction um between those two.
0: Do you think many manufacturers today that their primary focus is to make you buy the garment and most other things are secondary.
1: Yeah, I mean, just look at the way that the whole business is built up. You, uh, you can uh, you can buy a garment at full price, or you can wait a month and then you can buy the garment for like half price. And if you if you would just look at the product, there's not nothing has happened to that product. The only thing that has happened is that we have been we have approached a new season, and for some reason in our minds we feel like we have to be like on on I don't know on spot or spot on each season, and and also especially if you look at at um, like male fashion, uh, you would have you would look like oh so here's a blue shirt and that's full price and then you know wait one month and you approach autumn and then it's half price and then autumn comes and there, then there's another blue shirt and it kind of makes you wonder <laughs> what was the pro- what was the issue with the first blue shirt nothing can has happened in, in that amount of time that has you know motivated a price drop by 50%
0: that's a very good point and uh, something that is very dear to me um- because what is the actual true price of a garment? Because when you see it at full price, you think,
1: well,
0: they're willing to sell it for less. They're willing to sell it for half price if I just wait a little time. But then you think, okay, you're making a garment. How much does that cost to make? How much profit do I need to make? How many other costs are there? And you end up at a price. And I'm thinking, why not set a price that is realistic and fair and that is the actual price
1: yeah and that's that's how we we can look at it uh, if if we just if we just set a price we make a calculation that we how much it, it actually costs us to produce and then the idea, well, the idea, we're still <laughs> experimenting with that. But the idea is, you know, you can then sell the garment. Uh, I mean, sell the garment at, at a certain price. We calculate the pro- product uh, the product cost, and then we calculate what we need to sell the the garment at, at uh, that certain price. And,
0: and then and you stick we, to it.
1: Yeah, and then we stick to it, and we don't feel like we... We have to, and we don't feel like we actually have to sell it in a certain time frame as well. And I think it's a mindset that most people don't. I mean, of course, we kind can, of we can go with seasons and we produce clothes, but if we don't sell a certain garment at uh, one, one period, uh, we notice that I mean new customers come they fall in love with that garment or we have older customers who bought one shirt and then they actually want to buy another shirt so so the idea that you actually have to kind of stick to these um, seasons is uh, uh, well for us we it's it's not for us
0: (laughs) no it is a strange concept There's a special maker of duffel coats I have in mind. And I noticed that at the end of every spring, they will reduce the price of their entire stock to clear the decks, to get rid of everything. Then three months later or two months later, they will have restocked with exact same coats. And I'm thinking, now why on earth did you have to do that? But then I guess a lot of these companies, they make so much. So they're sitting there with so much stock and they just have yeah. to get rid of it
1: well I mean it's it's the, of course it's um, if you're looking at it in a purely economical way it's a calculation of risk so the, the reason why you need to have a certain price is that the risk is you won't be able to sell it and then you have a lot of uh, garments on stock and, and you need actually the cash flow so then you need that like the buffer uh, of Actually, being able to do a price drop and still make money from it, and and of course, that's 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 kind of is the reality for many. But there is a, I think there is a there is something that's gone wrong there though. There is something that the calculation <laughs> seems a bit off, right? Like you can do. With all these other technological advances we've made, we surely can make. We surely can think of something a better way to consume clothes. And for us, it's. I mean, we 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 approach it as we make garments, and we sell garments. um We don't make fashion because fashion is something that is very. Uh, what is it? Intangible, it's very fast, or also it's something that comes and goes. So, the risk in selling fashion is greater than selling actual garments. If you know, if you fashion
0: by its very definition is um, something that passes by quite quickly. Yeah. Um, so, where does Jan fit into this? How are you doing things differently?
1: uh well to start with i guess we actually as i said we can um we start off with looking at what kind of garments do we actually want to make what kind of garments are we looking at and and of course i suppose it's not a unique approach but what we're doing different is we kind of we minimize the risk by not having Large quantities, we produce uh, after demand. So right now our production is very small because we're still very small. And then we kind of will ease up the production, and then we'll, I mean, adjust after demand. Uh, but also mm-hmm. that means that we can. Um, that's one one issue. One uh, again, one way of looking at it: you you don't overproduce. The most important thing for us is we are looking at it in a kind of sustainability approach by looking at the input. For instance, many fashion brands, uh, for them, the issue of sustainability is something that has come up for them now. Like they need to kind of handle it. Or handle the situation, and they have to kind of adjust their production so that it is sustainable. Uh, for us, this is our—I mean, it's—it's it's our main approach. We look at the input, like what are we producing, how much are we producing, um, uh, and we—we kind of look, we kind of try to make the clothes as good quality as we possibly can, as well that sustainability to us, um, like for instance, if you want to recycle garments uh, or if you want to repair garments, you have to make something that is either recyclable or repairable. If you would look at a fast fashion brand, for example, they are more interested in selling their um, products and then they kind of have to handle the sustainability issue later on like oh now we've made this shirt which is a poly cotton blend we can't recycle it and no one really wants to repair it so what do we do with it and that's an issue which is quite big i suppose in the in the fashion industry so kind of going back to your initial question what are we doing different We're kind of looking at what's the input and where will it end up. Uh, Our hope is that someone, you know, will use our clothes as long as they appreciate them, or as long as they can repair them. And when they when they kind of ready to let them go, they will uh, either sell them, uh, sell them on to someone else, give them away. Someone else can enjoy them, but. We've made them so they can be enjoyed for a long lifetime, and if they are to be recycled, we only use natural materials. So, there's if we make a linen garment, it's 100% linen. We have cotton threads, we have cotton labels, we have corozo buttons, which is uh, like a nut. So, mm-hmm. and and that's our our approach, I suppose.
0: It almost sounds like you're making future vintage.
1: We hope to make future vintage, but, you know, future will tell.
0: So in 40 or 50 years' time, uh, your grandchildren will be rooting around the charity shops or the second-hand markets, and they'll find, oh, look.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, that would be the dream, you know. Like, for instance, you know, if you go to a vintage shop and you find a, a garment, I mean, mostly you will never heard of the brand. You have no idea what the brand is. It's something obscure that's come and gone. Uh, But you look at the garment, you're like, wow, this is a really nice shirt. This is a really nice jacket. And, you know, look at the stitching and look at here and look at that. And that kind of was what we want to achieve with our garments that even though 50 years from now, even though, I mean, hopefully the brand is still alive, but even if the brand is not alive, Someone would find one of our garments in a vintage shop, and they were like, oh, shit, look at this. Look at this. This is
0: really nice.
1: That's our hope, you know. We'll see.
0: Yeah, well, that's a that's a cool thing to, um, to have in mind. I find uh, vintage, it's hard to find stuff that is nice or good or interesting. Um, there seems to be so much fashion within vintage as well. So that if I go into vintage shops now, they're full of 90s tracksuits. And, um, well, they're always full of Levi's 501s. Yeah. But you can te- you can see that there are trends within vintage as well. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and I want to go wide. I want to see good stuff from 100 years back.
1: Yeah. And that's, I mean, it's difficult because 100 years back is, you know, it's 100 years back.
0: <laughs> yeah, but there's, there's vintage stuff. Piles and piles everywhere. You yeah. can see, you can sort of tell the vintage dealers they have this underground network where they're dealing in all the good stuff, and it will sort of pop up, and customers might oh, buy yeah. it. But you can sort of tell yeah. that there's there's a lot going underneath, a yeah. lot going on underneath the surface there. Very, I mean,
1: it's very interesting. I'm not really, I haven't really joined that club yet, but you know, it's very interesting to see. Um, you know, if you look at eBay. And an old old pair of work worker trousers will, you know, they would go for a I don't know, a couple of hundred pounds or hundred a couple of Euros. Uh, and there would be like holes in them and stains and stuff like that. So there is a market for that as
0: well, I suppose. I often wonder who on earth is buying that. <laughs> I guess I am. <laughs> that is nasty. Yeah,
1: but you know, we buy them and then we kind of look at them and then we see like, oh shit, oh, we could make something of this, and then we kind of um, make some contemporary adjustments, and then we we, uh, we produce that kind of, and that's our design process. Actually, we look at the look at all these old garments we have, and uh, we kind of think that oh, this is really nice, but maybe we should do this or that to make it a bit more contemporary.
0: Yeah. There seems to be no end to the amount of uh, French workwear available. No. Um, think, are, you, hey, but, are, you, are you looking at the French or are you looking at Swedish workwear? Uh, I mean, we prefer we look at
1: Swedish workwear, but I guess the heritage in Swedish workwear isn't as uh, uh, I would say it's, uh, not as as um, uh, there's, there isn't really, a, I mean, there is, of course, some Swedish workwear brand, brands like Free Studs. And we actually have a customer of ours, he actually gave me a pair of really nice uh, Swedish made workwear trousers, which was from Free Studs. And these trousers are old, um, like jailhouse trousers for prisoners. Mm. And uh, we have been looking at those to make some new or our newest like thinker trousers are made from them originally but then we don't have a certain um it's not like we only have to have swedish work where we really only have to i don't know british or anything like yeah. that We okay quite, quite, quite like uh, american uh all brands as well you know like uh, ll beans and um, but you know these Mackinaw jackets
0: uh wool rich and so forth yeah
1: yeah i mean when we say we don't make fashion we make garments it's not like we think that the garments we make are somehow um they will they are timeless pieces uh, I think we are very well aware of that. What we are making is a part of the present. Like we are a part of the cultural experience that is right now. And maybe like this heritage wave, even though we not necessarily identify as a heritage brand, we just kind of make what we want to make. Um, but we still realize that what we're making is fashion in a sense so it will be also very interesting to you know look back at our garments in 10 years or 20 years and you know kind of <laughs> hopefully not laugh at them but you know we looking at at 80s fashion in at, at one point you will be like oh what 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 was going on there and then you fast forward a few years and then that's fashion again so everything you know kind of moves in cycles and um uh, so I think, when you just, we, sorry?
0: I think you would just have to look back on your first product as uh, your first child and think, well, we did as well as we could with that one. We did better with the next ones. <laughs> <laughs>
1: That's your approach to uh, childcare.
0: <laughs> no, I don't want my children to hear me say that.
1: No. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we... Uh uh we're trying to what we say is like we're not timeless, but we are try to be as um uh, look look forward as as much as we can and and think about not we have a saying me and my wife that when we're making clothes or making garments that we don't we shouldn't you shouldn't put um uh poop in the food <laughs> which is. Which is a saying from a old Swedish comedy sketch where two chefs are like, competing in the European, I don't know, food uh, cooking contest. European cooking contest, and you have these commentators uh, saying like, "Oh yeah, they're re- doing really good now. The Swedish chefs are, yeah, they're uh, uh, they look unbeatable right now." But oh wait, what are they doing? They are putting poop. In the food oh yeah they, they actually did this in uh, <laughs> the swedish championships as well the uh, commentators start talking about it and uh what we're meaning by that for us is like you're doing like the most perfect simplest i don't know dish in this case and then you just take some dog poop and put it in it which makes this i don't know if this translates, states, but it's a funny sketch.
0: <laughs> but yeah, I think you might be digging yourself a deep hole here. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah.
1: <laughs> but what I'm saying is that when you're making something, kind of stick to it and don't make it more complicated than it has to be, because I think that's that's a a hole for many many people making things that you you don't have the. Uh, like, confidence to believe that okay this fabric and this really easy cut th- this will be a perfect shirt or this will be a perfect pair of trousers it doesn't need anything more it doesn't need any weird color splashes or logos or uh, stuff like that so we uh, we try to kind of keep it simple uh and maybe i don't know maybe that's the uh, kind of scandinavian way to think about design but not making um We're not saying we're making it minimalistic, but we're, you know, trying not to put poop in the food.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I would say that, uh, yes, you are fairly, I mean, keeping it to a Scandinavian minimalism. But compared to most other Scandinavian brands I can think of, they tend to be sort of more monochrome, strict, sort of clothes for architects and the like. But you're very much about colors,
1: yeah we like colors we actually we said that when we started out that we will never make anything black uh because you know the the world is full of nice colors so it's a shame not using them right
0: true true Uh, and also also very much about the fabrics
1: yeah we love nice fabrics and uh yeah, we try to uh, find as, as good fabrics as we possibly can within our price range, uh, sometimes a bit above our price range. <laughs> uh, and uh, yeah, so I mean, for, for instance, right now, we're looking at making, we have linen fabric, which is made in Lithuania, and, um, which is very nice.
0: I've heard Lithuania is the sort of go-to place for linen.
1: Yeah, we were we were actually very surprised because when we started off, we had Belgian linen in our trousers, and but we couldn't really find like the quality we were looking for. So we we used um, like linen fabric that was the the um, weaving uh, weaving mill. That made our fabric. They actually make up upholstery for furniture. Uh, So that was the kind of starting point, and we uh, quite liked those fabrics. Um, But then we we have our um, we sew everything in Lithuania, and as we went to Lithuania, we kind of. Uh, our eyes open up to the Lithuanian linen, and they are I mean they're very skilled at making uh, uh, linen fabrics there. so we figured it's better for us to keep everything as close as possible in the production so um, which we're kind of and as close as possible for us is is we've also we kind of put up these all these small rules for ourselves, but for us, We can source material anywhere in Europe. and That's our kind of limit. And um, yeah, so now we source it in Lithuania, the linen. Then we have uh, also uh, very nice. We're looking at making linen t-shirts, actually. Wow. So uh, we have in Austria. Well, there are a lot of producers of linen linen uh, knit, actually. But uh, one producer right now in Austria, which has kind of caught our eye. So we're looking, looking to do that.
0: So they're making linen that actually has some flexibility in it.
1: Yeah. Very nice. That's very progressive. Yeah, I mean... I think it's it's really interesting in the. I mean, we're we're fairly new in in the in the fashion business. We actually, I mean, uh, we both uh, studied economy uh, at university, and I have uh, been working as a journalist and photog- uh, photographer. <laughs> and my wife is uh, she's been working in retail, so we don't have this crisp fashion background, which is. A blessing and a curse i suppose uh, it makes us look at things in a probably a bit different way uh, but interesting for us is like now when we're looking at the industry there are so many things happening especially around fabrics uh, like for us like linen knit, and then uh, but then there are, are also i mean if Talking about sustainability, there are so many interesting kind of fabrics that are coming with it, like nettle and um, um, uh, and rose, I think I've heard of, and uh, yeah, there are a lot of and like uh, mushrooms as well. I don't know if you heard, there's a Dutch woman she grows sneakers from mushrooms.
0: I did just read a book called Fashionopolis, which was very good. And the last uh, third part of that was all about what is happening in new garment science now. And there was some talk about um, growing a leather substitute from something I think was mushrooms. A lot of really weird things going on. Um, Hard to tell what is actually sustainable, what might be environmentally friendly, Or what will eventually become a usable product. But uh, it is interesting to see what is going on now, definitely.
1: I mean, and talking about sustainability, I mean, it it is a bit tricky. You know, as you say, it's difficult to say what is sustainable. I mean, you shouldn't, you you would think that it's not that difficult to, uh, (laughs) you know, to figure out what is sustainable. But there are so many aspects of it, you know, from growing to, Transport to, um, uh, you know, like the uh, actual like sp- spinning, and making it, uh, taking it from plants, taking, from, <laughs> sorry, taking the fibers to actually making the threads and to weaving it and, um, and where to do that and the process that goes into it and dying. And it's very, um, there are many things that many questions you have to ask and you realize we realized we were actually kind of surprised when we started off that, uh, it's not very often that you get the answers you're looking for when you start asking questions like, Oh, so, uh, where is the cotton grown? Or where's the linen grown? And you know, under what circumstances is, is it grown? Um, everyone kind of scratches their head and, uh, and like oh yeah we, we can
0: we can look into that oh, so they don't actually have a conscious relationship to it well i mean some some have some
1: have of course uh, uh in in length but if you go to for instance there's this big um uh, fabric show in uh, in paris it's called premier vision uh, and you go there and you talk to all these fa- Fabric suppliers. And still, if you go there, the main selling point is price. Mm.
0: So, I mean, looking at... Do Do you think it's a strategy for them to not really be too certain about the heritage of their fabrics?
1: I mean, in a certain sense, you get the feeling that it's a bit like, don't ask, don't tell. Don't so ask; they won't tell you, and everyone's happy. Uh, so, uh, and I mean, my approach to it is, or our approach to it is: I mean, if 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 they don't use it in their marketing, if they don't talk to you about how they made how the things are made, uh, if that's not something they're very proud of well, then there is probably a lot of questions you should ask them to see what's going on.
0: Especially today when sustainability is such a, a buzzword. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you've tried looking up sustainability on Wikipedia lately, but the the word seems to have been hijacked totally to cover such a large range of of factors. It's uh, It's bewildering. Yeah. Um, you started out with where where the fibers are grown and how the f- fabric is made and so forth which is just n- nowadays if you're going to be talking sustainability just a tiny little part of it all i mean how are the ethics of the factory are the people paid um, how is stuff transported and also a lot of factors that seemingly don't have anything to do with it at all it's uh it's almost so that i i Want to find a different word to use for what sustainability used to mean?
1: It's, it's very difficult because you have this economical stability, sustainability, and um, the actual environmental sustainability and social sustainability. There are many aspects of the sustainability, and and for us, we try to look at all these types of issues when we're making clothes, but. We actually we we noticed that when we started out as well, we, we you kinda you ask all these difficult questions and you kinda see the eyes rolling at people like, oh shit, oh here we go. And and the main issue here is for us as a small producer is that no one really listens to a small producer. So that's I suppose one goal in the end for us as well, that you know, why we want to be grow and you know be bigger as a company is because when we do that we hopefully can have a bit more say in stuff we can actually talk to a producer and say we want this or we want to ask this question and hopefully make a small change somewhere
0: Hmm. I'm just wondering how, how large you have to be before you can really get a voice because the the big big guys are really really big. Yeah, well,
1: hopefully, probably gigantic. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but maybe uh, maybe you can make connections with uh, with small companies that have similar values to what you have, and uh, and maybe make the impact that way.
1: Yeah, I mean, hopefully, of course. I mean, just look at all the the consumers right now. There is a lot of... In Europe and uh, in America and, you know, Japan and Australia and in the Western world or Eastern part as well, I suppose, that people are talking about sustainability and they realize the the issue of it. Uh, I guess the problem is, as you say, is... How do we approach sustainability? How do we say that something is sustainable 100%? Um,
0: I think I think 100% is impossible these days. To my mind, if you're making quality, long-lasting clothes that will be worn until there's nothing left of them so they can be repaired and they can just be used, you're making them as ethically, environmentally friendly as you can and probably making no excess production so that you don't have thousands sitting in a warehouse, never finding a home. I think that must be, for at least for a smaller company, about as good as you can do it these days.
1: Yeah. I mean, it, it is difficult, and difficult to approach all these, these questions Um I mean, for instance, we, we say we produce in Europe, and the reason why we produce here is it makes it easier for us to, uh, you know, talk to all the suppliers and you know, see. Uh, I mean, just talk to them and you know have their um, get the feel for them and and see what they're saying about their own product. If we would look over the horizon, uh, it will be much more difficult. But in this, at the same time, we sell our garments to the whole world, so we will, use, we will send them. If we have customers in Australia that we've sent our garments to, and the sustainability in that is, I suppose, not 100%, <laughs> because I'm sure there are Australian companies that make garments in Australia.
0: I suspect that uh, the footprint of international freight is pretty low these days with the insane volume being sent everywhere. Um, I mean, imagine your footprint is tiny compared to a company like Solando sending out millions of parcels every day with free shipping and free returns. Yeah. That is an environmental disaster, but very nice for the customers. So I can see why it's a success.
1: Yeah, it is. At the same time, we we're, our idea is, I mean, we kind of make everything to scale so with that we can scale it up so we kind of have to have everything in. Uh, we have to think about all our choices because um, the idea is not to... It not not necessarily to remain a like a small company, and uh, of course we as all companies are interested in growing, but if we grow, if we grow, can we do that and still be sustainable and that 's one of the questions we kind of look at as we we move along.
0: It might actually be easier for a small company today to grow and stay sustainable than being a huge company and trying to become sustainable. After you've spent so many years not really caring about it, yeah I think it's
1: it's I, I I think you you have a good point there because I think one of the issues is in a company there are a lot of people who are working, and I mean the company is not a a company is made out of people people who are used to work in a in a certain way and Maybe they've been working for a whole lot of years, and they're very comfortable and working that way and then all all of a sudden there's a there's a, a kind of change needed to become sustainable and just looking at companies now I think it's very easy to you know, just look at to do them do it the easy way i mean to become if you are a big company and you want to become more sustainable I think it's important that you look at the whole business idea like how do how are we making clothes or how are we actually making profit and can this be made into a sustainable way uh, look at fast fashion companies the business model is not sustainable in a uh, in a environmental aspect.
0: I think that's entirely correct. I think um, for most of the large fast fashion companies, if they were really serious about being sustainable, they'd say, well, that's it, we're closing. Yeah. I mean, looking at it, it,
1: there's a lot of talk about circular economy. And circular economy is is like this foolish hope of (laughs) of becoming sustainable and saying, yeah, well, hopefully we can recycle everything. Well, you can't recycle it if you're not made if it's not made to be recycled well not not right now but and then there might there might be a I don't know certain hope that well we can uh we can be better at recycling the the technical advances in recycling will will for sure make our business sustainable and I don't believe that I don't believe that that is. It's possible. I think there needs to be, there needs to be a change in all the partners. There needs to be a change in how you produce stuff. There needs to be a change in how we actually consume. Uh, there needs to be a change in, and of course, in how we take care of things, our, our rest product, like the things we throw away. How do we take care of it? Like you can't focus at the end. You have to start at the beginning.
0: I think part of the problem is that uh, consumers and makers really have two quite different ideas of sustainability. Uh, As a consumer, you like to think that your products are environmentally friendly, people have been paid, they're good quality and so forth. So you you have that focus. But as as a large maker, their main focus is to keep making money, preferably more money than last year. Uh, and they will say and do whatever it takes really to sustain that economic growth. Uh, if that means making things more environmentally friendly or using less resources or whatever, then they'll do that. But that's not really their focus. Yeah. Although they will say so and they will greenwash and they will whatever. I do take a pretty dim view of them.
1: <laughs> yeah. But I mean, it would be interesting to see because there is a cost somewhere there is a cost right the cost might not be monetary but there is a cost there is a cost to uh, environment or there is a cost to uh, the people actually uh, actually sewing or producing or there is a cost somewhere but it might not be monetary for the for the end consumer the, the, the end customer so what I would be, would be very interested in seeing is that you will kind of take this whole like, hidden cost into your equation and then make that a, a part of the, like the monetary cost. Or you could actually see, the, see it somehow, that kind of show it to the, the consumer that, well, this garment was made with really cheap cotton Far, far away, under circumstances that are not ideal. Uh, I can just see the label in the shop
0: saying that. <laughs> well, you're, I mean, you're, you're about to pay big money for a piece of shit garment. Yeah. Good luck. Yeah. <laughs> but it would
1: be like a like a you know like a scale price so to speak. You know, it would be like a you would have a you could look at the garment and you would see like sustainability, environment, sustainability, sustainability A plus or B minus or C or D, so you could actually you could actually visualize the impact. Um, and right now you don't have to do that. You don't have to think about the. And I mean, and this is not necessarily just for the the fashion industry, although it's very. Uh, you cannot see it very obviously in the fashion industry. But you can see it in the, in furniture as well, and uh, you know IKEA and uh, other, mm.
0: and in food. Sorry. in, in the food industry, you to uh, have more industry. information. There, there yeah. are companies there that are more transparent and uh, and sort of break down both their supply chain and their costs in in quite a startlingly open and strange way Uh, it's I mean what's strange is to see someone actually being honest about it and you can see that well of course they're making a profit they have to make a profit otherwise there would be no company I did come across a, a company in Britain though that also did this they were claiming total transparency and they broke down their prices and so forth what I found though when I asked a friend who knows about costing of these things was that the costs they were giving in their transparency weren't actually what it would have cost them. Okay. Uh, and at the same time, they were also saying that their garments would never be on sale. Right. Uh, since then, they are having big sales, and since they had obviously blown up their their transparent figures quite a lot, you can sort of tell that that probably wasn't the best marketing strategy they could have chosen, but that was sideline. Yeah, yeah I mean, back, back to what sorry? you're making, there, Martin. You yeah. only do a few garments each season.
1: Um, yeah, um, the reason is, uh, well, that we don't <laughs> we don't need to right now, or we don't we don't feel like we've uh, we kind of we're, we're still kind of finding our way. So uh, it would be silly for us to make. More garments that we could than we could sell. So in a way, it's uh, we're still uh, finding our our place, and that's, that's you, one, you of one of the
0: reasons. You make one of each category, though, so you have a pair of trousers, a shirt, and a jacket. And I'm, I was hoping you'd say, "Well, that's the absolutely best we could make that season within those categories," which is probably <sighs> what you meant to say.
1: <laughs> yeah exactly no of course we we try to make stuff as as good as we can uh but uh I feel like when when we're making when when we're making our garments we kind of make garments that are supposed to work with the garments that we've made previously or kind of fill a gap and um so And then there's also the time aspect of it. Uh, It's just the two of us right now, and uh, uh, we kind of have to make everything ourselves. So that's really, actually, sorry to say, but that's one of the reasons why there are so few garments at the moment.
0: I think it's admirable. have a very small selection I see too many companies that once they start having a bit of success they make such a broad range uh, trying to cover every base in every variation and so forth and you just know that at the end of the season they're going to be selling so much of that at a discount but making just a few garments that fit together in small numbers and that's a a wonderful idea yeah I did
1: want to mention yeah
0: sorry I did want to mention that I, I I Imagine that Sweden is very much like Norway, and that there really is no garment industry left there. Unfortunately,
1: there is not really um, we when we started out, we were actually in contact with a, a few of the the ones that are left um, is it's just that. The few, the, the ones that are left, they kind of have to cater to um, making everything and for everyone. So you kind of have to look at finding a, a factory that knows what you are doing and kind of gets you. Uh, and there might be, <laughs> I'm not saying that there isn't one in Sweden. But for us, it was easier to, uh, we got a tip about a factory in Lithuania, which we're working with right now. And we're very pleased with them. They are really good at what they're doing and they they understand what we're trying to achieve. So that's very nice.
0: Have you been working with them on all your garments?
1: Uh, Yeah, they made all our garments.
0: Sounds like a good relationship there. Uh, The biggest garment factory in Norway is busy making thermal underwear for the Finnish army. So they're not interested in making anything, uh, any nice stuff (laughs) for anyone else.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, maybe they they would be, but it's difficult to... to, uh, With a big big producer, they kind of need a, a big production to to turn their heads you can and you need to go there and say well we want to make a thousand of this can you help us well ma- maybe they can help you so it's it's good to have a nice relationship with uh for us which a factor to which we can have small quantities and we can kind of scale it up uh, as we move along
0: um, when i think of uh, lithuanian production there's there's two ideas that come to mind. One is that Lithuania is a, a low-cost country in Eastern Europe. The other is that Lithuania is also a country with a long tradition of making things, so that's probably a place that is good to go to have things made properly. Would yeah. that be right?
1: Yeah, I'd say you're you're right about it. And, and of course there is this idea when you say that it's a, like a cheap Country in uh, in the the Baltics. I mean, we realize as well that we kinda have to. We would love to have our production in Sweden, but we kinda. If we would have our production in Sweden, we would have to find a factory that is uh, has invested so much money in their. uh, uh, their, what I say, the industry, their their machines, this stuff, should be competitive, because the the price for, of course, the salaries here are higher, so they have to be more efficient to compete, right? And then the the question is, well, we could make some stuff in Sweden, and that's actually what we're looking at right now. A few, a few things that we could maybe move here and then maybe we'll see in the future if we can move more stuff here. But the reality is that we also have to kind of look at what... I mean, we could make the most sustainable pair of trousers for 500 euros, but no one will buy them, right? Uh, so you kind of have to have that aspect as well. Yeah,
0: I'm, I'm quite sure there are people making trousers for a thousand euros, which aren't sustainable at all either. <laughs> um, there yeah. you go. Um, yeah. We're coming to the end of our time here, Martin. There's a couple of things I wanted to ask you. Yeah. One is, what is your absolutely favorite vintage garment? My
1: absolute favorite vintage garment, it must be a pair of old Swedish uh, Army trousers, green ones that I've been using for quite a while now. <laughs> they are—I'm not sure if they're like an M59 or something—but they're like really loose and nice. But they're—they're they're not for uh, for using in the, in the city.
0: Only <laughs> <laughs> sort of home office uh, pandemic uh, style.
1: Yeah, well, I you know it's taking a walk in the in the in the forest uh, kind of, but then actually I have a, I have actually another piece of um, a jacket which is a very nice one. I actually found it in a vintage shop in Budapest, which is a Swedish-made jacket in some kind of mohair. Uh, it's a raglan sleeve long coat. It's a very nice, very nice jacket, and you kind of you kind of kind of get almost get a tear in your eye when you realize what type of excellent production we have at one point here in Sweden
0: I get the same feeling when I keep finding um, finding old Norwegian made uh, coats and so forth in, uh, in second hands and charity shops yeah. I think up to about well, the mid 80s or so there was a vibrant uh, garment industry in Norway and the, the quality of them it was amazing yeah. so properly made one of my favorite jackets is also Swedish Army, the, the M1909, often called the Matslarsson. Yeah, yeah. yeah. With, the, with about two sheepskins worth of insulation in it. It's just crazy.
1: Is it, uh, is it the white one or is it a gray one?
0: They made both white and green of them. The green one is a lot more common, though. Yeah. Mine, mine is green, but there's just so much sheepskin and it's so heavy. It's just yeah. incredible. Very warm and
1: nice. Yeah, it's we fun. had you know around the Dalarna, like the northern, not the northern parts, but in the mid north, for like four hour drive north of Stockholm. There was this vibrant uh, leather and uh, like uh, leather industry. Uh, it's not there anymore though. It's very sad. And that's where they made all those old military coats.
0: Right. It's a good coat for standing around in, but uh, not for moving, I think. Uh, But in closing, what is the dream garment that you would make as what 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 do you dream of making if you were going to make now?
1: Our dream garment. I find that making a garment we actually i, I i'm not saying we're made of our dream garment but we kind of took a first stab at it with our heavy jacket uh which is like a wool uh, a felted wool jacket and i think it's it's a very simple jacket but you can use it as a uh, layering uh, which is the idea and then you can kind of use it also like turning up the collar and then um, uh, with a storm flap underneath the chin. And I think the the, the kind of dream garment would be, you know, the Mackinaw jackets of Woolrich and uh, and those American brands. I think or or at least my I can't speak for my wife, but at least my one of my dream products would be. To see that jacket move along to become this armor against wind and rain, and you know, like deep big pockets that you can just you know, kind of hide in, with a nice big collar that can like, almost turn up all the way up over, over your
0: ears, something like that. A jacket like that should definitely come from Scandinavia.
1: Yeah, we have that. Uh, Cold wind. <laughs> exactly. We're very much inspired, you know, by the climate as well. You know, in the autumn, you go stand outside and you feel like, okay, what should you? What should I wear to brave these winds, these cold winter winds? And that would be your favorite dream jacket. That would be my favorite dream jacket for sure.
0: Okay, Martin. This was great. Thanks a lot for for visiting the podcast, and uh, best of luck with. Uh, Jan Wittgen. Thanks. Been a nice chat. Uh, and uh, talk soon. Yeah. Take care. And that was all for this week's episode. A new episode next week. If you'd uh, like to investigate further, uh, my blog is at welldressedad.com, Instagram at welldressedad. Um, You've been listening to Gomolgy, Please uh, leave a rating and a review if you like. I'd really appreciate it. And if you'd like to get in touch, the email address is welladdressedad at gmail.com. Thanks a lot and catch you next week.